This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy and uh, Tom Perez, potty mouth, DNC chairman, says bigotry is on the ballot on Tuesday. And I would argue so is bigot baiting. And uh, let me present uh, one example from uh, Don Lemon, who has uh, now the undisputed dumbest man on television after this performance with Chris Cuomo as his captive audience. Is any one group or any one ethnicity, but we keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else. Some some, some people who are marching you know, towards the border like it's imminent. And when the last time they did this, a couple hundred people came and they, you know, most of them did get into the country. Most of them tired, you know, got tuckered out before they even made it to the border. Um, so we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. There is no travel ban on them. There is no ban on, you know, they had the Muslim ban. There is no white guy ban. Mm-hmm. So what do we do about that? Yeah, boy, big, big question from Don Lemon, uh, the problem of white men, radicalized white men. He's talking in the context of uh, the uh, violence, both the synagogue shooting as well as the bombs that were sent to Democrats and CNN. Uh, so, I mean, just a point of order, Orlando nightclub. Boston Marathon, San Bernardino. Um, yeah, there have been also uh, uh, hateful and in some cases deranged white guys who've uh, murdered people, no question. Uh, so uh, Don Lemon thinks we need to have a conversation about um, travel bans for white guys and uh, maybe a, a ban on white guys? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll f- call him later today and ask him what he meant forced deportation maybe internment camps i mean what does he have in mind uh just be interesting but I mean, this comes on the heels of julie ihoff over at gq saying that trump has radicalized more people than isis so this is the bigotry on the ballot on tuesday that tom perez is talking about uh we talked about this earlier in the week our friend bob woodson founder and president of the woodson center was on with tucker carlson uh talking about um our civility and cohesion and harmony after Sunday's horrific or uh, this weekend, Saturday's horrific shooting. And um, he made some interesting comparisons to the civil rights movement, his experience in the civil rights movement that provide perhaps lessons for today. So I wanted to have him on to develop some of those lessons, see if we can um, provide some enlightenment rather than just the typical uh, race hustling demagoguery for more we're pleased to be joined by the aforesaid bob woodson a fellow cigar aficionado i'm happy to say uh bob thanks for joining us appreciate it thanks for the cigars no problem uh, my pleasure I, t- I turned him on to the leaf by oscar oh yeah yeah okay. it's the way to go I'm telling you a nice Honduran wrap there uh bob uh start with uh, don lemon's comments about uh uh you know we got to do something about these white guys well, that shows you the moral inconsistency and the hypocrisy of people on that side. Because if a, a, a white person had said that about a black man, it would be outrage. 
but we tolerate bigotry <clears throat> on the left, particularly bigotry coming from a Don Lemon. And so it just shows you the, the absolute absurdity and the moral inconsistency uh, of, of what we're facing today. And and race, even charges of racism, it's almost lost its meaning because it's been just overutilized and, and, and demonized. It's just been crazy. But do you think Don Lemon really means it, or is he just trying to be provocative? No, I think Don Lemon at some level means it. I mean, it's hard to say. I don't really care whether he means it or not. I don't, I don't ch- challenge anyone's motivations, but I do challenge their behavior. And I think he should be fired for it. Wow. It, it's, I, I really think, Don Lemon, it's time for him to be fired for that. I mean, we must return to a level playing field in terms of moral consistency where we hold everybody to a common standard. As I said in the Tucker Carlson show, as a veteran of the civil rights movement, our demand was for, um, for the rules to apply evenly. And in pursuing justice, we also recognize that there are different paths to pursuing justice and so, as I said, that the civil rights movement did not speak with a single voice. It fractured um, because it fractured into different uh, organizations, SNCC, uh, SCLC, Southern Leadership, and um, uh, everything. And what happened, that it, it fractured, and, and, and that, but we didn't fracture and, and, and therefore develop warring camps. What we did was we were civil in our debates, so the civil rights movement was advanced as much by the quality of its debate as to the way forward as it was anything else. You sort of divided up the labor to some extent. Different people took different paths to get to the same place. Yes, but we also never uh, demonized uh, even people who we regarded as our opponents. We never saw them as enemies. There are all kinds of examples of grace and action the fact that King could stand outside of a bombed home with his wife next to him, who barely escaped. He was surrounded by 200 armed black men, and he counseled peace with them. And, and there are several instances like that. So there are some lessons in the civil rights. If, if, if King and others of my generation could counsel peace, when a, when a home of our leader was bombed, certainly we can proceed with civil discourse today uh, on, to, to confront our problems that we have. Well, I wanted, that's part of what I wanted to talk to you about, too, is the uh, calls in the wake of horrific events like what happened at that Pittsburgh synagogue to uh, have more law enforcement monitoring of social media, to have... Uh, to criminalize speech, to criminalize thoughts that are translated into speech. And I, I just want to get your perspective because I can only imagine the vile things that were said uh, to you and about you and your brethren. And obviously you just mentioned an example of the, of the vile, horrific things that were done. And uh, the idea of, of constricting speech or trying to have some state definition of what is acceptable speech and not acceptable speech, new definition, um, in the context of violence or uncivil discourse? Well, first of all, I'm going to join some lessons from the civil rights movement. Um, America didn't change just because we signed Emancipation Proclamation and the Voting Rights Bill. The hearts of Americans changed. 
the white people changed, black people changed. And it was a more of a cultural revolution than it was a legal one. And that is because, as King and others, we fought to recruit people to, um, to these principles. And it was successful. And, and, and so, but I don't think that we can accomplish it by, by externals. There is a deep crisis in the American culture that is, that is adversely affecting people of all races. The opioid uh, 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 epidemic that is killing more young people today, black and white, that are being killed in auto accidents. We have a suicide rate in Palo Alto, California, the Silicon Valley, among affluent white teenagers that is six times the national average. And so we have, we have some deep-seated uh, uh, cultural uh, problems that, that, that is fueling a lot of the tribalism and the way you solve that problem isn't by passing more laws or policies. We've got to begin to suck the oxygen out of it by providing answers and cures. And as I said, the 3,000 grassroots leaders that I serve in 39 states have, I would have demonstrated by their actions and experience that they can help people to find meaning and content uh, in, in spiritual centeredness to their lives. And so therefore, what we're trying to do is unleash them so that they can begin to, to move among the American population and help people to understand that it is brokenness in their lives that is fueling their frustration and that we know people who have triumphed over this brokenness, we just need the opportunity to, to let this spread the way hatred is being promoted. Well, in, in Chicago, we have, a, you know, everybody's focused on Tuesday, but we've got a mayor's race that comes up uh, right after the first of the year. And uh, as you know, Chicago is a, about a third, third and a third, white, black, and Latino, rough numbers. And uh, um, I know part, uh, a significant part of your life's work is... Uh, trying to advance the interests of people in the barrio and the ghetto and the trailer park to use a handle. So poor whites, blacks, Latinos, uh, doesn't matter your race or background, just frankly poor people to extend to them opportunities that their, their predecessors haven't had. And I wonder how you suggest we think about that or talk about that. I know you characterize yourself as a solutionist. So, how, you know, how would you advise Chicago people like us to uh, frame the discussion for a mayor's race where you've got to, you've got a bunch of, you know, here's a, the group of black candidates for the black community. Here's the group of Latino candidates for the Latino community. Here's the group of white candidates for the Irish. You know, I mean, that's how it uh, is covered by the media. How can we improve that discussion? Well, first of all, it's not going to be solved through politics. It doesn't matter. I mean, uh, uh, the black community has been served over the last 50 years. In all of the major urban centers, black liberal Democrats have been in power, the mayor's office, city hall, uh, the school boards, all of them. And they are the most deteriorating places around. That's where all your black-on-black -black crime is coming from. So it is not the race or sex of the ruler that determines winners and losers in these places. It is the content of the, of the strategies that they employ to solve problems. 
But as long as we define the problem as having the right color leader and not – I use it like it's, – it's like having a car with four flat tires and you argue over the race of the driver. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's what we're doing. We're arguing over the race of the driver when the real problem is fixing the four flat tires. And, and we have examples around the country where when you go into the black community where the problem is and recruit healing agents from within that community, give them the resources that they need, give them the opportunity to, 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 to recruit people to responsibility, major change can occur. The, if the problem were really race, the, the, the challenges between 1930 and 1940, when the country was in a deep depression, when the unemployment rate was 40% in the black community, 25% in the white community, when racism was enshrined in law, elderly people could walk in black neighborhoods in Chicago without fear of being assaulted by their grandchildren. So if, if racism were the culprit, then why didn't we go to hell in a handbasket then? Mm. So we need to look back at what are the lessons that we can learn from the past. And if you look at the lessons, it's because between 1930 and 1940, during the Depression, it was a cultural renaissance there. Our marriage rate was higher than any other group in the country. The religious institutions that in help was the glue that held us together. And so we need to go back and revisit the past and apply the old values to a new vision of what it could become. I can take you to areas of cities uh, that were overrun with, with, with violence where we haven't seen a gang incident in 12 years. There were 53 gang murders in one of my communities here in Washington, D.C., called Benning Terrace. You can, it, PBS did a special. There were 53 murders in the five square block area in two years. We train five grassroots leaders, ex-offenders, who go in as healing agents, and they brought these young people, these, just 16 of them, to my office, and we negotiated a gang truce. But we also fed into that community, let these young people rebuild the community they were destroying. And as a consequence, for 12 years, we didn't have a single gang-related murder. So the models are there. It's just that we don't, in, we, we don't look to the community suffering the problem for the solution. We, we keep looking for a race remedy. We keep looking for a, a, a um, political remedy. And that is, as I said, like trying to change the race of the driver in a car that has four flat tires. Bob Woodson, the wisdom of Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center. We could use a big outpost here in Chicago. Bob, thanks so much for joining us as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile.